you have your Bibles, would you please open up to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 this morning. In this passage that we're going to be looking at, James is instructing the church to deal with four things that we'll be highlighting today. And so I've laid out from our text, it's just nice the way that that works out, when the Bible in our particular passage, our excerpt is covering four things, it makes it nice. We'll have four points this morning, and the four points I am calling four deals. So our message is entitled Four Deals. Now, when you hear the word deal, I know some of your ears may have perked up. I'm not referring to Craigslist or eBay or to your local garage sale. I'm referring to four things that James is instructing the church to deal with. And so when you think of that term, four deals, hopefully from this point on, you will think of four things that you need to make very sure of that you deal with and that we, as followers of Jesus, deal with in our relationship with the Lord. So before we get to where we will uh, be studying for the most part of this morning, I'd like to preface with verse 18, our study in James chapter 1. It says in verse 18, James 1, referring to the Lord, of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we, the church, followers of Jesus, might be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. Now, sometimes we all get pressured into doing something that we really don't want to be doing. Uh, Maybe it was like when you were dating your wife before she was your wife and you were pressured into going to a Cookie Lee exhibit or or before that, I think it was Tupperware if I remember correctly. You know, it'll be fun, she said. Uh, You'll enjoy yourself, she said. You know, do it for me, she said. And way to go. You scored some brownie points that just tipped the scale in your favor and she just had to marry you at that point. In verse 18, it tells us that God, by His own free will, brought us to the place of salvation. He was not pressured into it. He did not lose a bet. He, of His own free will, saved us from our sins. We did not earn it so that He had to pay us salvation because we worked hard enough. It was a free gift of God. God gave us, you and me, new life. Born again. Made alive spiritually. In Ephesians 2.1, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus and he said, and you He made alive who were dead in in your trespasses and sins. After laying out a list of characteristics of the lusts of the flesh or those that are controlled by the sinful nature, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.11, and such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So you, me, because of our faith in Jesus, our new creations in Him, the old things have passed away, all things have been made new. And so James is coming off the heels of that statement. Talking to the church as you are new creations in Christ. You are a follower of Jesus. You are a new man. You are a new woman. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. He's coming off of that. And now, in verse 19, which leads us now to point number one, our first of our four deals is deal with anger. 
Deal with anger. In verse 19, he says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, that verse right there may just be a game changer for some of us here today. You know, for that neighbor that allows his dog to use our front lawn as its restroom, and his lawn is the nicest on the entire block, this will help you deal with that. When you're dealing with a coworker that is determined to step on you to get ahead, when you're pulling your hair out because your kids are climbing up the wall, when there's a person in your life, maybe it's a spouse, a husband, or a wife, or a friend, that's just not pleasant to be around, this verse is for you. And there may be some of you listening to this this morning that have a bad temper, and you're prone to say and do things while you're mad that you know are wrong. Now, have you ever seen somebody that got really angry? Some of you are like, don't remind me. What are some of the tells that someone is getting angry, getting mad? The clenching of the jaw? You can see the veins start to protrude from the temple. The grinding of the teeth. Maybe a headache or a stomach ache. An increased and rapid heart rate. You feel your blood pressure boiling. You start sweating maybe. Feeling hot around the neck. Like, oh boy, oh boy. Maybe you start shaking or trembling. Maybe you start to get dizzy. Maybe you start rubbing your head like this. This is a classic one right here over the eyebrows. You start rubbing your head. Or maybe you start going like this. You know, whatever it might be. Maybe you start pacing back and forth. Maybe you start getting sarcastic. Oh, oh, really? Is that so? Oh, is that what it is in your little world? Or whatever it might be. You start losing your sense of humor. Maybe you start acting in an abusive or abrasive manner, raising your voice, beginning to yell or scream or even cry. I mean, how many of us have said things that we really don't mean and we only said them because we were angry? See, under point one here, James will tell us how we can deal with anger. And the first thing that he mentions is be swift to hear. Now, it's only natural if you think about the uh, the anatomy of, of the human body, that God has given us two ears that are actually open and one mouth that is usually closed. Hear the other person's side of the story. Listen to where someone else is coming from when they're speaking to you. Because often we can just have a terrible time in being quiet. When we're hearing those things coming out of their mouth, we want to say something immediately. We want to cut them off. Be a person that listens. See, usually, biting your tongue helps your temper drop a few notches. Breathe through your nose. In through your nose, out through your mouth. Do your lamas. Whatever you need to do, calm down when the other person is trying to communicate. Even more important, when he's saying being swift to hear is more important than listening to what the other person is saying is being in tune with what the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to you in regards to your conversation. Be swift to hear the other side of the story and even swifter to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. 
So he says, be swift to hear. And then he says, be slow to speak. Instead of rattling off some sort of rude, snide, or disrespectful remark, keep your mouth closed. Now some of us have a wit. And it gets us in trouble. We're really fast at firing something off. And we can be very good at that. And we can make them look really stupid. And we'll say something, we don't even have to think about it. Maybe you have some information that's burning a hole in your pocket like cash does when you were a kid. And you just can't wait to let it loose. See, we get into trouble in our relationships when we don't listen to what God's Word says. When we're not swift to hear and slow to speak, we say things that we ought not to be saying. So think before you speak. How about this? Pray before you speak. You might say, well, pastor, that sounds fine and, fine and dandy. Might be nice in a sermon to say pray before you speak. I don't know if I have time to pray before I speak. Well, let me give you a little tip. If you're not rushing to speak, you'll have time to pray. If there's something that you feel iffy about, like, I don't know if I should be saying this, don't say it. That's usually, in the life of a Christian, the Holy Spirit checking you. I don't know if I should say this or not. So wait, pray, see what the Lord will do. All too often, I think we could all agree with this. I know in my life that this is true. That we will communicate something to someone that was meant only to be communicated to the Lord. We'll say something to somebody else that was meant only to be communicated to the Lord. We should not have said that to them. We should have brought that to the Lord. So swift to hear. Slow to speak. And thirdly, he says, slow to wrath. Do not quickly activate your wrath. Man, We can be very quick in activating the nuclear football when we lose our temper. Man, what are the launch codes? Give me the key. We're going nuclear on this right now. He says, slow to wrath. See, when we get angry quickly, it never leaves the follower of Jesus feeling proud about that in the end. You go nuclear. You lose your temper. You do not feel good about that afterwards. If indeed the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, you cannot be comfortable with that. You feel bad that you acted so impulsively. That you acted without self-control. When you're fast to wrath, you regret the saying and doing that took place in that moment. Because in verse 20, James says, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You lose your temper, it is not producing righteousness that comes from the Lord. Do we understand that truth? That if we're in the flesh and allowing our bitterness or anger to control us, the righteousness of God is not being produced in our lives, period. What's being produced are the works of the flesh. The very thing that God sent His only Son to deliver us from. That's why... James prefaces what we were studying today in verse 18. You have been set free from sin. Jesus laid down His life for you to make you a new creation in Christ. Be swift to hear. Be slow to speak. Be slow to wrath. I mean, you may just be in a bad mood, and I think we all have had our times like that. And we're just going, 
the next person that rubs me the wrong way is going to pay the price dearly for the 15 previous people that have bugged me. That's wrong. Somebody's going to get ventilated because you've been just the ticking time bomb waiting to make someone a scapegoat. Listen to what Isaiah 53 verse 7 says of Jesus. It says He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before His shearers is silent, so He opened not His mouth. Pastor David Guzik, I like this from this passage of Scripture. He says this and I quote, in light of the nature of temptation and the goodness of God, we must take special care to be slow to wrath because our wrath does not accomplish, does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Our wrath almost always simply defends or promotes our own agenda. End of quote. So swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And picking up in verse 21 now is point number two. So first is deal with anger. Second is deal with filthiness and wickedness. It says in verse 21, Therefore, in light of those things, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. So the first thing we see here as an active instruction is lay it aside. I mean, when you think of the terms filthiness and wickedness, what comes to your mind? Just think about it. You don't need to shout out anything, but just think about it. What comes to your mind? One commentator by the name of John Trapp, he was an English commentator from the 1600s. He described filthiness like this. The stinking filth of a pestilent ulcer. Sin is the devil's vomit and the soul's excrement that which is cast in the town ditch. End of quote. When I read that, I thought, oh, oh, sick. When we think of it that way, we should ever be ready to lay aside filthiness and wickedness from our lives. Just get it off me! Oh, don't, no, 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 no. I don't want anything to do with that at all. Get it off me. I mean, when we were little kids, we used to do stuff to bug each other all the time. You know, you put slime on somebody or get something on them that they didn't want. And you're like, just get it off me. I don't want it on me. That's what I think of when he says, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. You're a follower of Jesus. Just get it off of you. Throw it away. Ditch the filth of wickedness. And he says not only that, he says receive with meekness. You might be saying, well, receive what? The Word of God humbly. Humble yourself before the Lord by adhering to His commandments on how to live your life. Wow, Lord, I don't really feel like that. I feel like I want to do things my way. See, that implanted Word of God is the very thing that saves our souls. You remember the Word of the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, as it says in John. The Word of God will help you now in your situation. And it's able to save you, so apply it to your life. Be teachable. Be open to learning things from the Bible. I mean, there is a tendency, the longer that you've been a churchgoer, to think that we've heard it all before. 
I don't really need to learn anything else. Been there, done that. Well, I hope that we can all decide from this point on that we need to learn from the Lord. And that once we learn from the Lord, that we need to learn some more from the Lord. When I think of that phrase, lay aside, maybe it reminded you as it did me of that Scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Lay it aside. Wickedness and filthiness impedes our progress as Christians. I mean, could you imagine if the book was no longer a pilgrim's progression, but it was a pilgrim's regression? How discouraging that would be. A pilgrim's progress turned into a pilgrim's regress. When you're running this race as a Christian, as you're living your life, filthiness and wickedness are like those weights that impede your progress. You cannot move forward in the way that you need to if you're weighted down by sin. Get rid of that weight. Get rid of that weight. You know, there's all the jokes about, you know, if you were out with a, with a buddy in the, in the forest and there was a grizzly bear chasing you and you're like, I don't have to outrun the bear, I just need to outrun you. I wouldn't be running around with all of the books that I used to carry around in my backpack in high school. You'd be ditching every weight. I wouldn't be having my massive camping backpack that weighs you know, 48 pounds on my back as I'm trying to outrun. You drop the weight. So he's telling the church, lay aside. Remove anything that is holding you back. We cannot have as Christians, the attitude regarding our sin, that we'll just put it on the tab. Just put it on the tab. There's enough forgiveness and grace there, so I'll just continue in sin. No, Romans 6, 1-2, through Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So we must deal with the removing of the filth and wickedness from our lives because garbage in equals garbage out. We're new creations in Christ. Don't allow the smut and filth of the world to attach itself to you. Remove those things. Our sinful nature has been crucified with Christ. And if that's true, how shall we live in sin any longer? So deal with anger. Deal with the filthiness and wickedness of sin. And then point number three is deal with not doing. Deal with not doing. In verse 22, James writes and says, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In Matthew 21, verses 28-31, through Jesus shared a story. And it's probably very familiar to you. But in case you have not heard it, I will read it again. And it's a great reminder of what James is saying here as well. Jesus said, but what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. What? How dare you say that? 
Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders of the day. For they were the ones that appeared on the outside to be doing what they were supposed to be doing, but they really were not. So you can acknowledge Jesus, and we can acknowledge Jesus with our lips, and we can praise Him, and we can do all of these things. But when we deny Him with our lifestyle, it is just showing that our heart's far from Him. We can hear all the Bible stories. We can hear all the lessons in the world. We may even be moved by some of the things that we read or hear communicated. But if we don't do what God's Word says, the Bible tells us that we're deceiving ourselves. Because there's such a vast difference between a hearer and a doer. There's a difference between hearers and doers. The Bible states that to be so. It's true. Someone that applies what they've heard is a disciple. In church, you might think, man, I went to church. That's great. That's what the Bible commands us to do. It says, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren. You need to be in church. It's what we're supposed to be doing. But hearing is only half of it. Doing completes what you've heard. So you might hear something this morning or at any other church or any other Bible study or read something. If you hear or read without doing, the Bible says we are actually deceiving ourselves. Oh man, that was such a moving message. Wow, what a great passage of Scripture. But when hearing ends, doing must begin. In Matthew 20, excuse me, 7, verses 24 and 27 from the New Living Translation, Jesus said, Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But then he says in verse 26 as a contrast, anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. If you're a Christian, as a Christian, if we find ourselves crashing and burning, you can trace that all the way back to its conception at not doing what the Lord tells us to do in His Word. We might read the Bible, hear a study on what God's Word says, but then we decide to do it differently and then wonder why we're in such a mess. We've all done that. We don't want to repeat that. For in verse 23, James says, For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now, let me ask you this question. Have any of you ever walked out of the house looking a different way than you thought you looked? That you didn't realize that you didn't look the way you thought you looked when you checked before you left? Have you ever wished that you looked as good in pictures as you do to yourself? Sometimes we miss things. Now, if you're a parent with small kids, I mean, that happens all 
the time. It used to be my pet peeve because I had a problem when I was a kid. I used to spill food on myself all the time. I'm actually really sensitive about that, so please don't laugh at me. (laughs) It used to be my pet peeve because I'd spill my milk at the dinner table or I'd get spaghetti sauce on my shirt and it would just drive me crazy. And it has kind of tapered off a little bit, you know, as I've gotten older, but it still happens. But then you have kids. Man, has that ever changed the way that I view life? Because now we're out in public and I have vegetable and beef medley smeared all over my shoulder. It's baby food everywhere. I have baby vanilla yogurt all over my pants. You don't care anymore. Let me just say, ask me quick if I care. Quick, ask me. Do I care if I have baby? No, I don't. That's just dad life. That's just dad life. Now let's just say you looked in the mirror and you saw that you had this giant scoop of vanilla ice cream on your head. Now most of us don't like going outside with ice cream on our heads, but you saw it, you walked away from the mirror and you forgot that it was there. We laugh about it because we think how ridiculous. But that's what it's like to be a hearer of God's Word but not a doer. See, what happens when you hear from God's Word, He speaks to you because His Word's living and it's powerful. He speaks to your heart. He shows you things in your own life that maybe you didn't realize were there. He reveals things to you in a convicting manner. And it's like taking a peek in the mirror of God's holiness and seeing our blemishes for what they really are. You hear that message. You see yourself in light of that message, but then you walk away and forget what you look like. You may even know the Bible very well. You've studied it. You've dug deep into the passages. Well, listen, that doesn't mean that you're a doer. It can actually mean that you scrutinize others and their doings or lack thereof and never see how the Word of God applies to your own life. When you look into the mirror of God's holiness, He shows you if you've got a scoop of ice cream on your head. He shows you those areas that need to change or that need to be cleaned or that need to be adjusted. In verse 25 it says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now in the Greek language, this is very interesting to me. The metaphor that's used here comes from those particular women that would spend much time in front of their mirrors to make sure that they looked the best that they possibly could and that not one hair would be out of place. So though James encourages encourages doing, we should be spending time looking into what he says is the perfect law of liberty and continue. And continue in it. Continuing in it. That we study the Scriptures, not just for what we can tell others about them, but what we might first see how we need to change. By continuing in our study of God's Word and our relationship with the Lord, we will be blessed by the Lord. Because the things that we'll be doing are things that are pleasing to the Lord, and we know those things are pleasing to the Lord because that's what it says in God's Word. I don't want to be a hearer only. I want to be a doer. 
Now in our fourth and our final point today, we'll be looking at a practical way of determining whether your heart is right with God. And so in James chapter 1, verse 26, our fourth and final deal this morning is deal with your heart. Deal with your heart. Deal with anger. Deal with the filthiness and wickedness of sin. Those are huge things. Because often we can get bogged down. We can get tripped up. We need to deal with not doing because we don't want to just be hearers. We want to be doers. And finally, verse 26, deal with your heart. He says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Man. Can the tongue do some damage or what? This might be revolutionary for you. If it's not, it's because you've already come to this conclusion, no doubt. Most of the problems that you will deal with in regards to brothers and sisters in Christ or other Christians has to do with what is spoken. It's with what somebody else says. So the majority of the issues that you will have with professing brothers or sisters in Christ has to do with things that are said. James would write later on in chapter 3, in verse 10, he says, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Some of the most hurtful things that can happen to us come in the form of words. Words. We may have attended church our entire, our entire lives. We may really literally know every story in the Bible. But if we cannot bridle our own tongues, then everything we profess about our relationship with Jesus, the Bible says, is useless. Because the things that we are saying are defeating our stated position in Christ. The things that we are allowing to come out of our mouths are actually destroying our witness. And our testimony to the fact that we were, remember back in verse 18, a new creation in Christ, that God in His own free will has chosen to make you the first fruit of His creatures, a new creation. Furthermore, the things that are coming out of our mouths are indicative of the condition of our heart. So that's why we deal with our heart. In Luke 6.45, Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now there's no way around this. But we need to keep our tongues in check. And sometimes that's a very difficult thing to do. But the Bible doesn't command the followers of Jesus to bridle our tongues when it's easy. Or rather, the Bible just says bridle it. Have control over it. Hold it in check. The literal translation. Hold it in check or restrain it. I can't. It's all over the place. I can't get a hold of it. No, the Holy Spirit gives you self-control. You bridle it like you're bridling a horse. You control where it goes and what it does. And if we consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus, we're saying that we're a follower of Jesus but then we're also saying things that ought not to be said, then our heart is being deceived and thinking that those kind of things are all right to be said. In Ephesians 4, verse 29, 
It says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart. Listen to this. The words coming out of your mouth, coming out of my mouth, may impart grace to the hearers. If you go all the way back to what we were looking at in James and being swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath, in that context, even when I could fly off the handle and return evil for evil, I am going to impart grace to this person that may just be having a bad day or might be in a bad mood or might be just not thinking clearly or whatever it might be. You're imparting grace to the hearers. Outside the context of a personal discussion that's maybe argumentative, if when I open my mouth, people are blessed by what I have to say, that is a job well done. That's a job well done. When we were kids, I don't know if your parents used to tell you this, but they used to tell us this. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I think we've grown up and have become adults and have forgotten how important of a truth that is. What good things do we have to say? How are my words building up other people? How are my words, can you picture this? Imparting grace to the hearers. This is a huge thing for us to be reminded of. Because people that are around us are hearing a lot about our relationship with the Lord by the way we live and by the way we speak. So we need to deal with all of these things. We need to deal with anger. We need to deal with filthiness and wickedness. We need to deal with not doing. And we need to deal with our hearts. Because these things are pillars in the life of the disciple of Jesus. Jesus said, not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. And so you'll hear these things today. And are you going to leave and be a hearer? Or are you going to leave and when the hearing ends, start being a doer? I want to be a doer. Lord, help me to be a doer of Your Word. Help me not to be deceived into thinking that I'm okay, but I'm not doing what God's telling me that I need to be doing. Lord, help me to check myself and that I'm not going against what Your Word says because I feel like doing something differently. That's where all the problems start. If you struggle with anger, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If that's an area that you're weak in, then you need to work on that. You need to watch out for that because the enemy is going to continue to exploit you in that area. If you have a problem giving in to the lust of the flesh, you need to lay aside all filth and wilthiness. Oh, get it off me. Oh, that's sick. I don't want anything to do with it. If you are a hearer of what God's Word says, but not a doer, you need to deal with not doing. And you need to start doing what you know God's telling you to do. Not putting it off. Not rationalizing why it's not feasible. You know, you just need to do it. If you have a problem with the words that you speak, and maybe, as I said, some of those things like you communicate something to somebody else that should have only been communicated to the Lord. Maybe you felt iffy about it. Maybe you're like, eh, I don't know if I should have said that. If you have that check in your spirit, it's better to just give that to the Lord. Because it's there for a reason. And if it's iffy, 
err on the side of grace. If it's like, I don't know, be cautious in that area. Because ultimately, the things that we say are either going to build other people up or they're going to tear them down. They're either going to be hurtful or they're going to be gracious. And so the Bible lays out, James, lays out four very simple things that we're to deal with as Christians. And so we leave today having heard these things, and now we need to be doers of those things. Apply them to our lives. If you're doing those things already, don't grow weary in doing good. Good job. Keep watching yourself because there go I but by the grace of God. And if we rely on the flesh to not fulfill the lust of the flesh, we're in, a, we're in a bad place. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need His strength. We want to be those men and women that impart grace to those that hear the things that we have to say. And let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, so much for Your Word. We thank You, God, that You are a merciful and gracious God. You're slow to anger. You're rich in love. And I pray, Lord, that we would take heart. Take to heart, Lord, these things that we have studied and heard today from Your Word. That we would be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. To be the men and women that You've created us to be. I pray, Lord, if there has been any pain, if there has been any hurt, experience, Lord, by anyone because of something that that was said. Lord, I ask God that You would begin that healing process. And Lord, that even those people that feel, Lord, that they have been hurt would be able to, Lord, speak as Your oracle. That when they open their mouth, Lord, it would be in giving grace. Because Lord, we know that we all need Your grace. We all do. And so, Lord, as we receive Your grace from You, we ask, Lord, that we would give grace and be gracious to others. Lord, even as we say, Lord, forgive us our sins, as we forgive those that sin against us, Lord, I ask that You would please fill us afresh with Your Holy Spirit. Pour it out today, Lord. Pour out Your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that You would do just a new work and a new thing in the lives of your people, in the life of this church, Lord. And we ask that you would be glorified in all things. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen.